Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. All right, all right, fair enough. Uh, okay, by show of hands, who has seen narratives, stories playing out in the media and social media that they thought they'd never see in their lifetime? <laughs> Anyone? Or do we all have our hands up? <laughs> um, just when you thought it couldn't get stranger, stranger is the new normal, isn't it? It seems like our narrative is is folding in on itself over and over again, and we're hearing we're he- we're hearing groups of people talk about topics and things that perhaps we never would have imagined being shared in a collective way. What a what a crazy time to be alive. What a what a powerful time to be alive. Can you feel the burn? Does it feel like the the phoenix metaphor is happening and we're burning off all this subconscious collective karma? Does it feel like a karmic tsunami? You're walking through a storm. Wet clean up planet Earth. Wet clean up <laughs> planet earth so all right fair enough maybe you're being shown a lot of things that you don't prefer maybe you're seeing things in the media just in the last few months or so that you don't prefer have you spent any time figuring out what you do prefer If we could make you mayor for the day, for the for the the community, do you have an image, a vision, an idea of what a healthy culture looks like? Of what a a vibrant, alive, electric exciting collective culture would look like? That might be a more important question. I mean, to recognize what you don't particularly want, it might be an individual thing, but what is a narrative? What is a, what is a collective narrative? that supports the fundamental aspects of being a human being, kind of like the root metrics. We're all fond of breathing. I'm pretty sure of that. We're all fond of of this inhale, exhale um, habit we just can't shake. (laughs) And then there's the food thing. That's pretty popular. And I'm sure all our cultures have a kabod somewhere so we can go take care of that side of it as well but once we get past the bare essentials then we start getting into choices so i'm super stoked for tonight's show i i love the topic the topic tonight is build your village and our guest tonight is florence and romano we're going to bring her on in just a minute And I wanted to do a quick shout out to Norway, Brazil, and again, India. Your listening numbers are trending, and and I love to see that uptick way to be. But what does a, what does a, what do we want? What do we want, quote, reality, unquote, to look like, our village to look like, our our community to look like? We pretty much got it all turned on its head in the last couple of years. The normal of 2019 is a fading memory, and 
I don't see a new normal being installed quite yet. We're still in the chaos of change, which is a very, very powerful time. A very powerful time to install a new dynamic, a new narrative. Imagine halfway through 2019, and you go out to the metaphorical street corner and say, community, let's build community, and nobody would look up. (laughs) But now, people realize that community is important. So what would you prefer? What would your village look like? I think we should get to it. Let's let's get Florence Ann on the show. Again, the topic tonight, it's it's the name of her book, Build Your Village, a guide to finding joy and community in every stage of life. Florence Ann is a personal growth strategist, author, philanthropist, and businesswoman with a sparkling personality and an eye for marketing. Romano flourishes as both an advisor for and the vice president of business strategy for Yakety Yak. Florence is a proud member of the board of directors at the Children's Research Fund, as well as Female Strong. She's also a founding member of Sesame Street's Leadership Council. After spending more than 15 years as a child care provider, during which she was known as the Windy City Nanny, that sounds like Chicago, Romano is the authority on child care and family support in this new millennium and has more than 500 media appearances discussing these topics. Born and raised just outside of Chicago, Romano wants to show people that not only is the saying it takes a village is true, but it's also how important the need for community is. You can learn more at Florence and Romano. Join me in welcoming her to the show. Florence Ann, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you? I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm doing well. You know, it's uh, what a curious time to be alive, right? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I think everybody right now is shaking their heads saying, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, it sure is. I, we have so much change going on. It's you know, it, for some people, it might feel like the foundry, like a furnace, and and uh, it's difficult and stressful. And for others, it you know, we all deal with change in a different way. But really, really, we haven't decided what the new normal is yet. And and I think to get conscious, intentional about what we what elements we want what do we want in our communities what do we want in our village to get conscious about that is a right now is a very powerful time for that to happen so i'm delighted to have you on the show i'm thrilled to be here and to talk about this this topic in all the ways that we can because i think there are a lot of different theories out there about what community means, about what village means. And, um, you know, it, it seems very cuddly, right, when you talk about community. You know, oh, that sounds wonderful. It's like a big hug. And uh, there's a lot that goes into it. It's a very nuanced um, connection to humanity, to people, to ourselves. Uh, so to explore that uh, in, in a much deeper way, in a much more like run your fingers through it tangible way is very interesting to me and I hope interesting to you and the listeners. Yeah, the, you know, the 2020 kind of uh, put us in our own Petri dish, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, um, um, I, I, if, if you were to look at the narrative just in general, what would you say are some of the 
the bigger elements that uh, we we've lost along the way. I mean, what 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 has fallen out of the cart, so to speak, in the last couple of years that that is challenging us more. Well, I would say it's not ever one thing, right? It's never one thing that happens that leads us to the place we are today. But one thing I do think that is very relevant and prevalent and um, very relatable to the way the world is today is that it takes a lot of effort to, to make connections, to, to build friendships. To, to do really anything that takes um, effort, it has to come from you first. And I guess what I mean by that is you want to be able to understand what your intention is. And I think right now, in this world at least, we don't seem to be paying a lot of attention to what the intention is. And beyond that, I think there is a fear uh, a big fear with people regarding rejection and putting themselves out there in a way that could get them rejected, but also putting themselves out there and asking for help and feeling like a nuisance or an inconvenience. So I would say those two things, the fear of rejection and the fear of inconveniencing someone or feeling like you're going to have to repay a debt to someone because of something they do for you, that's something I see very, uh, very tangible today, and it, it seems to be a common theme in conversations that I've had with people who have children, don't have children, are 15 years old or 80 years old. Uh, and to me, that's fascinating. The, so the idea that if I ask for help now, I'll be on the hook with somebody that I'll owe them – and and that that is not appealing well i mean think let's be very honest right i mean is it appealing to ever feel like you have something hanging out there that you have to repay i mean i don't even like having a bill on my desk that i haven't paid yet it's like hitting there in the back of my mind and i'm trying to go to sleep at night i'm like oh that envelope's still sitting there i gotta get to that i gotta get to that and it's like kind of, you know, it becomes this not loop in your brain, but it's, it's lingering there. You know, it, it kind of the, the image of that envelope kind of pops in there throughout the day, just kind of giving you a little reminder of something that you owe. And that could be the same for a parent out there that perhaps was sick for a few days and had to ask the next door neighbor to pick her kids up for school and pick them up to bring them home at the end of the day. And even if that parent was still going to that school to get their own children, they were still in charge of, you know, someone else's kids for a few days. And you feel like, gosh, I don't know the next time I'm going to be able to repay Sally for that. And until I get to do that, I'm going to feel really bad that I'm being a bad friend or taking advantage of her or she's going to think I'm taking advantage of her. So I'm just trying to give everyone a few examples of what it can feel like to have to repay a debt. We're not talking about money necessarily. Sure, yeah. Well, there's, I mean, kind of the root of what you're talking about is this idea of being critical with each other. If I do this, then, you know, it's it's like this analytical, critical thinking, and you don't want to get off in the weeds, so to speak. But if if collectively we've all kind of been through the ringer and and we have needs <laughs> we have needs the uh, <laughs> the i mean to to come together as a community when everyone is needy i mean how do we how do we um fulfill the need and if everyone is kind of uh, spent or or um, they might not have their a game on I mean to to heal ourselves you know what I mean if 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 we're all feeling uh, somewhat taxed or drained or wiped out um, how do we nurture each other in that context um, to to uplift ourselves 
Well, you know, the idea that, you know, need, right? I want to I want to focus on that, I guess, for a second because it's not wrong to to need someone. It's not wrong to need things or uh to ask for those things that we need either. Uh I think what tends to be difficult about accepting the fact that we need is that for some reason we live in a world now where if you if you don't do it yourself, if you can't do it yourself, it makes you look weak or it makes you look like you're not that super mom or that super dad or that superhuman person. You know, you feel bad taking a sick day at work because, you know, what will that look like to your boss or to your comrades that you work with or your you know fellow colleagues? Um, or, you know, if you don't carve, you know, three pumpkins per kid in, you know, each Disney character that they love every Halloween and set it outside to be displayed in this beautiful way so all the neighbors can see your perfect decorations, that you've failed as a, as a father or a mother or a caretaker. You know, it's this idea that we're living up to some sort of expectation that either society has put there, maybe the impact of social media has put there, or we have put there in our heads because whatever we are being influenced by, that has made us feel bad about needing to be looked at a certain way or needing to be valued a certain way or measured a certain way. That need has grown into something very different because it's now more about the optics of everything versus us really looking at ourselves and figuring out what we need for ourselves, for our family, instead of what we think we need to show everybody else. Right. That kind of the, the white picket fence mentality of, of the ideal um, neighborhood or whatever, you know, and we're not, we're not made the same way. So having some kind of a one size fits all template of what quote correct living looks like just isn't going to cut it over time. Well, it's not going to cut it over time because it's impossible to catch it. It's impossible to really live up to whatever this is in your head. I mean, I grew up in a community and, and, and actually moved back to that community, living it today, where it was very much a keeping up with the Joneses type of community. And um, I wasn't raised to, to, to be like that or to think that that, if I was like that, it made me better than someone else, you know, anything like that. But I, I grew up watching a lot of people chasing a lot of things because they thought that was going to validate them or that was going to position them in the world or society or whatever it is in a way that would make them stand out, that a way that would make them feel important or perhaps better than. And so that's why it's, it's dangerous to constantly be chasing this version of ourselves that we think we have to be in order to be accepted. And this brings us back to this idea of community and the people that we bond with, the people that we form relationships with. Why are we friends with these people? Why are we attracted to these people? What is it about that chemistry or the energy of that person that makes us want to be friends or date or marry or whatever it is? It's all energy when it comes down to it at the end of the day. We are energy and at the end of the day that, you know, it can't be destroyed either. So we're always energy. It's always there. But that is a huge reason why we gravitate to certain people in certain places is because of the charge we get from that. And so that's something to look at as well when we are making intentional choices about connections. Right. Well, and a lot of times in our own head, so to speak, we have these, these milestones of, of what's going to fulfill us when I get the promotion, when I get the new car, when uh, when I get married, then then putting it out in the future, then um, my life will be quote more intact or more correct or whatever. But really, 
normal fell apart. <laughs> Normal's gone. <laughs> I mean, it really has. I mean, you know, you, you talk about um, the idea of of the neighborhood. Like uh, one thing that. Uh, surprised me I'll put some skin in the game is my daughter so my daughter's growing up and I'm showing her how to use a drill and welding and all this stuff and then she goes and gets married and I'm in my head I haven't done the math right and I'm thinking well when my daughter needs something she's going to call me and I'm going to go help her but it's actually the husband that takes care of that kind of thing. And so her husband, my son-in-law, calls his dad, and he's the dad that comes over to help. And And I get it now, but I didn't see that coming. So what if there's all these talented people in a non-vocational way, just, you know, um, women or I don't want to stereotype, but people that know how to fix a sink on a Saturday night or, you know, uh, put a button back on or whatever. Um, to, there's an element of of exchange. Maybe maybe a new app comes out that says, I ha- here's a resource that I can fulfill, and and then the app connects the the, the want and and the, you know the the solution to it or something like that. Well, I guess my question for you, Les, if I'm allowed to ask some questions myself here, is oh, it's going to go both ways, is it? Well, good. Well, you know, it sounds to me like <laughs> maybe you could be feeling a little replaced. And and sure. are you having any feelings there about that? Oh yeah, you bet. I I I'm pretty much have been, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. It. But is it though? Is it is it okay, or is it you trying to not make a fuss or not cause a problem and just be agreeable, or have you? And you've made this kind of compromise with yourself. You've you, you, you sat with it, and you're willing to sacrifice it. But sure, you know what about what you need with the relationship with your daughter? It's okay if the relationship changes, but are you still feeling like you still have a connection with her that is fulfilling you? Well, um, the the notion of free will. Um, it's not my call how other people choose to live. It just flat out isn't my call because sovereignty and dominion of a, a individual is paramount. And I, I love my daughter without conditions. So it doesn't matter what choices she makes. I... Um, I hold so much love for my daughter that that she can make any choice she wants, and and I'm okay with that. And it, this isn't um, this didn't just come around. <laughs> I say that sentence, and it probably took me ten, twelve years to wrap my noggin around it. But in truth. The sovereignty of the individual is is uh, a divine attribute, and so I, I give my daughter free will. She already had it. Uh, it's not for me to grant it to her, and and she can make any choice she wants, and that gives her freedom. And that freedom is more important to me that she experienced that freedom and that unconditional love, then my need for her to call me because her sink's backed up. Well, you know what? I'll tell you, if more people could do the work that you've done in that way, and believe me, it's work. You don't get to the place where you've gotten (laughs) to, like you said, right? It's years of work to get to that place. Um, 
you're describing what I wish every child could go through or not even go through has in terms of a parent or a caretaker is that unconditional love and that freedom to be able to live their life and make their choices. And I'm sure your daughter is as beautiful as they come in every way, and she never does anything to intentionally uh, not include you or hurt you or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with what's going on in your relationship. It's just that, you know, how she relies on you or depends on you has changed, and you got used to that. You got used to being a certain, you know, role in her life. And that role has changed. And it's funny, you know, as we talk about this village concept, in my book, I have six different villagers that I created, six archetypes, because I wanted people to be able to relate to something very specific, very tangible. Uh, And I wanted them to be able to see themselves in the book in a lot of different ways. And I felt the best way to do that was to create these six villagers so you could figure out who am I of these six people to others? And who of these six people do I need in my life? And it's funny. I talk about how in life, sometimes you have the wrong people sitting in the wrong seat. Maybe you are casting someone in your life as the accepting villager, the non-judgmental one in your life, and they're failing you. They're not living up to the expectations, but they're not doing it on purpose. They just, they just don't have the skill set. So instead of creating a space for them as an accepting villager or casting them as the accepting villager in your life, you look and think, you know what, they would be much better as the organizer. I can depend on them. I could delegate to them. They could get the task done. Maybe that's where they should be sitting, and I actually need to recast that accepting villager role. Or maybe I already have a few accepting villagers, and I perhaps need another. You can have more than one. But the reason I bring this up is the role that you play in your daughter's life has changed, and that's okay. You've made your peace with that because your daughter's happy and living her life and a new chapter of her life and all of that, and you're living a new chapter of your life. But I think sometimes we get scared when our role changes. And unfortunately and fortunately, that is a blessing of life, is that we continue to grow and evolve and change. And who we are to other people and who people are to us and who we are to ourselves can also change. And it's okay if we need to make some changes in that community with our people. Nice. I like that. So what if um, what if we're used to living in a community where it's keeping up with the Jones metaphor and we drive by everybody else's houses as we uh-huh. come into and go out of the community and there's this real like standard of living um, baseline, so to speak, of what's expected. This is all metaphorical. And then 2020 comes along and and the shrubs in the front die and the, you know, one leg of the sprinkler system breaks and there's brown spots on the lawn. This is all metaphorical. And our, our, our lives fell apart in, in countless different ways. And like you were saying earlier in the conversation, when we go to ask for help, there's this, um, this dialogue in our mind about, you know, we wring our hands a little bit and we're not sure we want to engage this. And, and it, it seems like in our village to, to let down the, the benchmark, so to speak, and see people for who they are, not that, because how many people haven't been able to keep their crap together, so to speak, going through 2020? I mean, whole industries were shelved. The convention industry was put on hold for a year. And what if you were just about to retire and your industry fell apart, you know, or um, you had uh, in-person gatherings that fell apart, and what I'm getting at is for many of us, our own personal measuring stick, we don't measure up. We don't measure up to that 2019 white picket fence baseline. 
and and how do we look and see each other outside of the context of any particular measuring stick, but just as somebody who's been through the ringer with a with an indifference to the why of it, if that makes sense. You know, someone said once, I think it was Mel Robbins, said that being jealous is not necessarily a bad thing. That when you're jealous, you're not actually upset with the person. It's not actually like, I'm going to use you less as the example. You tell me something that's going on in your life and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're taking this dream vacation to Europe for a month and you get to go down the, you know, the, the coast of Italy and, uh, and, it's, and you're going to stay at five-star hotels and eat, eat the best food and have a, a limo driver take you up and down. You don't have to worry in the world at a private plane, whatever, that y- you say all of this to me and I get that feeling of jealousy or that feeling of envy. And it's not actually you that I'm upset with. It's the situation that I envy. And maybe that's something that will inspire me. Maybe I'll work a little harder, save a little more, not spend money somewhere else because I know that that, what you're doing is speaking to me in some way and maybe that's a sign that I just need a vacation. Maybe not to the level you're going to do it, but maybe I need to find out what's something that's going to light up my eyes, what's something that's going to get me away, change of scenery, give me some peace, bring me some excitement, some adventure. It's not you I'm upset with. And jealousy and envy is not necessarily a bad thing. That in and of itself is a measuring stick for something maybe you want in life, whatever sort of version it is. But I guess I want to use that to kind of lead us into the second part of this explanation is this measuring stick concept. It's never going to go away. Okay, here's the tough love part again, too. It's not going to go away. Someone's always going to have something you want. Someone's always going to do something you want to do. Someone's always going to be living a better you know, life that you think, bigger house, whatever it is. If that's not going away, it never will. But if we expect that we're not going to ever be challenged in life by looking at what's going on outside of ourselves and thinking everything's going to be fair and equal, that that is just a bunch of baloney. And, and you are going to set your up, yourself up for major heartache for the rest of your life and disappointment and failure and, and feeling less than and unmotivated and, and becoming bitter and resentful. So what's the choice here? You know, none of that is going to go away. The measuring sticks will always be there. It's your interpretation of it. It's how you water yourself, how you put your oxygen mask on, how you decide to choose those thoughts every day going forward because that is in your control. But if you're going to lose yourself to the other side of it, then, then you're making that choice to do it too. So I can't take away all of those exterior things that are out there that are going to be tempting you to go down that icky path. But I can tell you that you have a choice. So what are you going to do? How are you going to decide to live your life? Are you going to continue to be intimidated by those measuring sticks? Are you going to live your life for you? Very powerful words. Well spoken. I like that. Well, now let's bring the conversation to your book, Build Your Village, A Guide to Finding Joy in Community in Every Stage of Life. So who did you write this book for? <laughs> you know, I think about that question often. And when I'm asked it, I feel like I change my answer all the time. It's easy to That's say fun. it's for everyone, right? <laughs> we have no mission sticks here. Yeah, there you go. This is a measuring stick-free zone, Les. I like it. Um, That's right. I I would like to say, right, it's for everyone. That's the easy answer. But um, the real reason I wrote it was during COVID, I, I looked around, and I saw us on a global level go through something that we could all understand. And gosh, how often does that happen in your life, that you right. on a global level understand something? the same way someone over there in Italy does, that you know what it felt like to live through that. My gosh, that's, an, that's incredible. But 
what I did notice that was a common denominator was that everyone lost their support systems. And the ramifications and consequences of losing that were dire. From a toddler who, or even a newborn baby who was born in the COVID era and had no chance of socializing, to the kids that were in school and their school shut down and they fell way behind in school and had a lot of socialization issues after that as well, to teenagers who were struggling with mental health and emotional well-being issues, to college students who were taken out of their, their environments that they had grown to call home and lost a little bit of their purpose, to adults who, like you said, industries were shut down, shuttered, lost their jobs, didn't know what was going to happen, when it, if their jobs were ever going to come back, to the elderly who couldn't receive visits from their family, from their friends, who are more alone than they ever had been. So, yes, it is for everyone, right, when I lay it out that way for you. But the specific reason why I wrote it was I never wanted people to feel like if something happens where you lose your support system, that there isn't a place that you can go to take control in your life when you feel out of control. And that's what this book is hopefully going to do for you is be evergreen in nature and be a roadmap to connection when you need it, however old you are, whatever is going on in your life. Very powerful. Very powerful intent there. Bravo to you. I mean, I'm serious. That's, uh, that was from the heart. I, I heard every word of that. So, so you, I'm looking at your table of contents. You have the accepting villager, the dependable villager, the cheerleader villager, the communicator villager, the organizer villager, the, and the healer villager, and the compassionate villager. When when we look at these um, these archetypes, um, how can we how can we find out where we're lacking? I mean, a lot of times we get in a survival mode where we put our head down and we just slug through the tough times. And um, there, there's an endurance mentality to it. We're not looking up. We're not looking around. We're, we're plowing through the tough times and hunkering down, so to speak. Perhaps we've come up for air and and we want to um, start to uh, get our legs again, so to speak. How do we how do we take uh, inventory, if you will, of our village where it is now today, and and to, in order to understand where the weak spots are? Well, I think it's funny whenever I read out the six archetypes to people without even giving a definition attached to them, I can see people on their faces already start to cast people in their life into the roles without me even telling you what my definition of those six are that you just read out. So it's, it's a very reflexive um, exercise for people because you just kind of naturally go there. It's like casting a movie or a play. You think, who are my main characters? And as you start to do that work, like, again, right now, if I say to you, Les, you know, start, tell, you know, start thinking about who's the accepting person in your life, dependable, cheerleader, organizer, you know, you start going through all of them. I bet you're starting to do that. And that's the work. That's where it starts. That's the, that's the seamlessness of this. That's the ease of this. Is the low-hanging fruit is where I want you to start because then that's going to give me and you insight into where you need to build out, where you need to repair, where you need to fill voids, do all that. But we need to take inventory first of what's going on in your personal ecosystem. Nice. I like that. Well, you know, the when I think of a village, we were talking a little bit before the show started. Um, um I remember watching, this is probably in the 80s, um, we would get these international feeds in the TV station I worked, and I would see, I think it was in the Middle East, uh, communities that would come, come together and cry. I mean, they would wail and sob um, in the streets in mass, and 
when I think about it, uh, the American culture just, I don't see it ever doing that, ever is a big word, but for people to show difficult emotions in public, a lot of times we cringe about that because um, we might not have a healthy relationship with those types of emotions, but to build your village, when we look at what I'm getting at is to look at the components of a healthy village and and even before 2020 and to look at what would nurture us and support us that wasn't there before, wasn't there in 2019, 2018. Um, There's so much change going on now. What new elements could we bring to our culture that weren't there before that would shore us up or strengthen our resiliency to change? I talk about in the book the idea of being consciously compassionate. And this is something I feel that has changed since 2020. We are paying more attention to your point, to use that example of, you know, having emotion in the streets or having emotion in public. I think we've seen that change. Even social media has made that change for us where we see authentic or sometimes not, but we'd like to think it's authentic emotion, authentic personalities, authentic opinions. Uh, and reactions and behaviors. Uh, I think after going through 2020, this consciously compassionate theme, I've seen run through far deeper maybe than before, because during that time of survival, and it was in a lot of ways to a lot of people, and the survival you could define in many different ways too, we did see the humanity in people come out, and we also saw the inhumane sides of people come out. And so we we learned a lot about ourselves and about the world and how we treat each other. And I would like to think that we didn't go through all of that for nothing, that we came out of that hopefully being better people and realizing that we do need one another and that we do need to show up for each other. And compassion and empathy and all those, those, those things are very important. And how do you help people when they're in need? I don't know what the meaning of life is, but I know mine less. I always say that the meaning of my life is to live a life in service of others and the myriad of ways that I can do that. Um, I was even more moved and committed to kind of that life philosophy going through COVID and seeing uh, how I could be effective in that philosophy with other people in the creative ways that you had to be in order to show up. Um, and I also think that People today need to be reminded that it's not grand gestures that make you valuable to somebody. Uh, And I talk about this a lot in the book about the different ways that you can show up for people and the different ways you can be consciously compassionate. And it's not a heavy lift. It's as simple as sending a text message sometimes. It's as simple as putting a reminder on your phone. Uh, And those little things, what seems so little, are actually the things that create the biggest impact and the biggest joy. That is something I feel that has changed out of 2020. I I hope that we carry that with us, that we continue to put an emphasis on how we treat one another. And believe me, and you know this as well as I do, we fail as a society at that all the time. Just watch the news. But we have to keep working on it. Wow. Wow, compassion compassion that right. that's such a that's such a powerful thing you know like uh uh tent cities um people whose life has fallen completely apart there's more and more people living in tent, tent cities in all across the country really and some of those might have been vibrant successful people in 2019 and and they've they've fallen into the abyss and they've lost their way and and um they have perhaps such drudgery in their thoughts and they might be blaming themselves it's it's so easy for us to um 
look at uh, like a tent city scenario and and come up with the idea of shame or failure or you know put, put a context to it of well those people shouldn't be there and those people I mean who would let their life go so far down the the ringer but but I think the dynamics of of what makes up those people has covered a much broader span of our culture um people who in 2019 might have been very prominent powerful people in their village and now it's all falling apart the, the idea of compassion to to let our eyes glaze over as to why they're there but that they are there and to from a place of compassion um that sounds like a very powerful um strategy I, I hope it is. I, I hope that, you know, we can at least make space for it. We can be more intentional about it in our lives. And, you know, I, yeah, I may, I may have written that book, okay, but it doesn't mean I even follow my own advice. I'm going to be honest with everybody out there. I struggle with this stuff too. So, you know, don't think like, oh, she's, you know, she's figured this out. She's mastered it perfectly. I work on this the same way everyone else has to. I have to take my own advice. I have to sometimes look in the mirror and not like what I see. There's a lot of changes sometimes that I need to make. All of those things. I, I, I struggle with it too. I didn't write this book because I think I'm perfect or because I think that I have the answers to everything. But I think I do have the inspiration for it. I think I have figured out some tools from vast experience from a lot of different places in my life that I've, I've tried for you. Trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, fail, fail, fail. I've done that work for you, and I hope that that comes out and comes through, that you see that these things have been tested. I've been tested. Um, But making space for all of this, just to know that you're interested, just to know that you're curious, just to know you have room to grow, uh, that's the first step. You know, the, the last thing I'll say about that is, you know, I say in the book, you know, here's the roadmap. I've given you the directions. You want the directions, here they are. But you need to get in the car and drive there. And just like anything in life, I can't make you want it. I can't make you do it. So you have to decide whether or not this is the time you're going to make a change in your life because you're sick and tired of the way it's going. So if that's you, then step into the moment, lean into it. But I can't make you. Step into the moment, lean into it. it it's that intention that... I mean, I started the episode off with what do you want? What what does a what does the village you want to live in look like? What what does that look like? And then to get clear about that and then step into it and get clear about that and set an intention and get clear about that and put your attention on that intention. That that's the that's really the mechanism of of creating a new dynamic in in the foundry of the Phoenix Fire, foundry of Phoenix Fire. I didn't that wasn't intentional, but you get what I mean. I love it. I love the alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's well. I'm I'm very delighted that you went uh, you went through the metaphorical challenges and you were motivated enough to write a book. You're motivated enough to bring uh, some focused thinking about the mechanics of a village to build your village. And uh, I, I really like the term joy in in the subtitle, a guide to finding joy and community in every stage of our life. We, we were talking before the show about celebrating the mundane in other words um we're not going to land on the moon tomorrow there's not going to there's not going to be a big event that um everyone can celebrate together that i can see but um for, for us to um stop and pause and see ourselves in in this moment in this part of our journey 
there's some value in in bringing joy to our narrative, even though maybe not we haven't got everything figured out yet. What do you think? I think a, a hallelujah goes to that. <laughs> amen, <laughs> hallelujah. I'll give you an amen, hallelujah to that one. Yeah, I mean, we're doing this together, you know, for better, for worse, you know, so death to us part. All of us in this community, in this world, are doing this work together. And if that doesn't make you feel better, at least about what you're doing, then I don't know what will. Just knowing that it doesn't matter how rich or famous you are, uh, those people struggle with a lot of the same things that we've talked about tonight and I talk about in the book. It's human nature for us to go through these things. You know, you see a celebrity, you know, whose divorce is splashed across the, the tabloids, and you forget that that's a person. You forget it's a person going through pain or hurt or betrayal or whatever is going on there, a death. You forget. They are just like us. They have just the same feelings we do. So if you ever feel like you're really alone in this, it, I want you to, to remember this moment and know that it doesn't matter what you were born into, rich or poor, your culture, your ethnicity, the color of your skin, no one is exempt from this. No one is exempt from this. Every single person at some point in their life will most likely be able to relate to something on the page of that book. And that should make you feel empowered to know that you can do it. You just got to keep going. Ask for that help. Let that love in. Let that love in. I like that. Well, now, um, share with the audience now your web page, where to get your book, anything else you want to share about um, your platform. I like to think of myself as your virtual village. If you, you know, go to find me on Instagram, Florence Ann Romano. I answer every DM I get. Please reach out, introduce yourself to me. Let's have a conversation. I'm here to do this work with you. My book is available anywhere books are sold. Your favorite bookseller, you'll find it there. You can also go to my website, florenceann.com. I have lots of blogs that talk about a lot of the things that we talked about tonight and a newsletter that goes out monthly that also has a lot of fun facts and interesting information and things you won't get following me on social media. A lot of exclusive content there too. So I hope you'll follow along and I, I hope you'll allow me the privilege of being in your village. Well, we've had a little micro village tonight in this <laughs> podcast and you've brought quite the content um, and insights you have a real passion for compassion yourself, and I want to applaud you for showing up for yourself. You've written this book. You're, you're doing interviews. You've got skin in the game. So I want to uh, celebrate you for what you do and, and for this book that you've created. Um, it's, it's really been a pleasure having you on the show tonight. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you for this opportunity. It's been wonderful to connect with you, and I've learned from you tonight, and I appreciate that so much. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself with me and your listeners with me. It's been very joyful to use the word of the day. Very, very joyful. Thank you. Very nice. We've been talking with Florence Ann Romano, and the topic tonight is the name of her latest book, Build Your Village a guide to finding joy in community in every stage of your life. So, so, what's it going to be? If you had a blank piece of paper put in front of you and you were to jot down attributes of the village that you want to live in, that you want to live in, what would those components be? Is there any value to getting clear about that? Is there any value to to root, think about it, to root through what you want to get clarity? To get clarity and focus about what you do prefer? Because a new normal, I don't, yeah, a new normal 
is is coming and it'll be decided by human beings like you and me what's that going to be to take the time to daydream to take the time to envision a village to get clear about that that's that's the premise of change right there that's a premise of powerful change i guess because you know an earthquake is change but uh, to uh, to change in a manner that brings you in in better harmony with what you prefer that's what i'm talking about it, we the cart fell over quite a while ago and it's it's now it's today we're deciding our future as as we go along there's not just one moment where we decide and then there's no more decisions it's an ongoing interaction with ourselves it's an ongoing interaction with our choices it's an ongoing interaction with our intent so what's it going to be what do you want what do you want in your village i like the idea of multiple channels of every resource in other words <laughs> i see i see on uh the internet where like fruit that's grown in Argentina is shipped to Thailand for packaging and then shipped to the United States. Um, I know what I want about my village. I want my food to, in a general sense, my food to come locally, local farmers, local food. It's not that I don't want caviar from Russia that'd be delightful I'm not saying we don't ship food around I'm saying that the village that I get excited about living in is the the food at the market is is local food the um, I, I like the idea of uh, uh, instead of a pyramid we've seen the notion of a pyramid when when it breaks like a like currency money we have one currency and when that tips over the whole flipping rodeo tips over that's a pyramid the the value of the dollar decides so much about our lives so if the value of that dollar sways so does so many components of our life but i like the idea of a honeycomb a, a grid of honeycombs where there's multiple resources for everything that i need fundamentally there's multiple ways to get electricity there's multiple ways to get food there's multiple ways to get medicine there's multiple ways to get education there's multiple ways choices if a community has no choice they have no power the more choices they have the more power they have to decide their own narrative choices choices diversity in resources that 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 gives the community a resiliency if any one thing falls off the cart it doesn't tip the whole cart over hey here we are at the end of the show and here you are too i'd celebrate you for showing up for yourself i hope you enjoyed tonight's episode what a what a curious time to be alive right <laughs> always a pleasure You've been listening to a New Human Living broadcast. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Let me ask you a question. How many times during today, this day, has your heart and soul had direct communication with you? 
Our egos, left unchecked, will easily consume all of our thoughts and consciousness as we go throughout the day. Where we really are living an ego-led life. But our ego cannot even comprehend the vision our soul has for us. If you want to increase your personal power, make space throughout your day for your heart and soul to inspire you. Citizen King, The New Age of Power is a book I wrote just for that. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Until next time, thanks for listening.